And it's been a good morning so far, hasn't it? Oh, you all seem thrilled with snow. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I may have just done the proverbial pastoral kiss of death a moment ago. I leaned over to Mark just to give him a heads up and said, I may be short, which usually means I'm going to preach a lot longer. So, you're welcome. I saved it just for you. That's how much I love you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Hey, guess what? The Ravens don't play this weekend. Okay. Uh, guess what? That means the Ravens are the best team in the NFL. AFC, sorry, I'll get it right. right back there. Okay. It means you have at least a week before you start crying. I'm just making sure that you hate me before we start. So good, we're up to a good start. Um, I know all of you go back to November. We wrapped up Hebrews chapter 6 before we jumped into our Christmas series. And at the very end, mentioned the name Melchizedek. And then I said, this is the second time we've talked about Melchizedek, but you've got to wait until January before we actually tell you who Melchizedek was. So I know many of you, your Christmases, your New Year's were completely ruined because you just didn't know who Melchizedek was, right? I mean, you were just so frustrated. And if that's true, you need to get a hobby, first of all. Um, secondly, I'm, I'm sorry, but, but I'm going to be really transparent here for a moment and then hopefully not disappoint you. Um, I, I, I love telling you and reminding you, and because I have to remind myself sometimes, not to get focused on the minor issues, the minor things, when, when the big picture of Scripture really comes down to the fact that, hey, you and I are lost sinners who are separated from God because of our sin, and, and God, instead of just looking at us as lost sinners, being like, hey, good luck to you, he said, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to send my son, I'm going to enter into humanity, the humanity that I created, and I'm going to redeem them through the death of my son, and then he's going to be buried, he's going to raise again from the dead, and you can live in hope. That's, that's the main point of Scripture, and sometimes we, we hear that, and when we're in church for a long time, we're like, oh, that's, that's awesome, and then we end up like, okay, but, but who's the Antichrist? And the answer is, it doesn't matter. Um, we, we, we also tend to do that with things like we're going to study today. And I'm going to be really honest. I have been doing this with this character, Melchizedek, for weeks. So who is he? Uh, well, how does this work? Is this, is this actually a, a, a real king, or is this the pre-incarnate Jesus who came before he actually was born as a baby and he showed up here in the old? How does this all fit together? And, and let me just be really clear. Um, it was not very long ago like within 24 hours, like I was in bed, and I sat up at 2.30ish this morning, and was like, oh, it doesn't matter who he is, he's just a picture. And my wife, thoroughly confused, said, amen, and I went back to sleep. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, what I want you to know is this, before we even jump into the discussion of Melchizedek and then quickly leave the discussion of Melchizedek, because again, it's not about him, he's a picture, I want to make sure I give you the point of Hebrews 7 before I even attempt to walk through it with you, because I have a tendency, and I know it surprises many of you, to lose the point sometimes in some of the rabbit trails. So let me give you the point, so at least if nothing else happens, when you leave here today, you can say the point of Hebrews 7 is this, and here it is, you ready? The point of Hebrews 7 is this. You don't need religion to get to God. You need perfection. Oh, no. But the good news, that's actually good news. And that's what we're going to talk about. Um, the kids deck. Actually, let me do this. Let me read the first 10 verses. Follow along with me, if you would. I would really encourage me, if you would follow along, you can scan the QR code to 
to find the passage or, or take out your paper copy of the Bible or, or your phone or whatever it might be and, and, and read along with me just real quick um, the, <laughs> uh, the first 10 verses. And um, I'm pretty sure that after I read the first 10 verses, you're going to be like, oh, this makes complete sense and we won't even need to like, do the rest of the message. Okay, so here you go. You're not believing me yet, are you? Okay, Hebrews 7, verse 1 says this. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of God Most High, met Abraham and blessed him as he returned from defeating the kings. And then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Now first, his name means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Without father, mother, genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. So now consider how great this man Melchizedek was. Even Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the plunder to him. The sons of Levi, who received the priestly office, have a command according to the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brothers and their sisters, though they have also descended from Abraham. But one without this lineage collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. Without a doubt, the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, men who will die receive a tenth, but in the other case, Scripture testifies that he lives. And in a sense, Levi himself, who receives a tenth, has paid a tenth through Abraham, for he was still within his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Clear as mud, right? <laughs> well, um, so let me, let me do this. Before I jump into the, the background for you, and you're all, some of you are like, okay, now that I have the Bible app open on my phone, it's just a real quick scroll over to Facebook. Don't do it yet. Give me at least five minutes, okay? Just, just do me five minutes. Give me five minutes. I'll see if I can't get you there and, and then post away. Okay, but there we go. Um, before I do that, a resource for you. Something that I found incredibly helpful in trying to understand chapter 7. Um, it's, it's not a translation of Scripture, okay? So the person didn't sit down and like the Hebrew and the Greek and translate it, but it's, it's kind of a running commentary on Scripture. Um, a man named Eugene Peterson put it together, and it's called The Message. And let me I'll tell you, if you read The Message, Hebrews chapter 7, it helps the understanding of what is happening in Hebrews chapter 7 in ways that no other resources that I found was able to do. And so let me just encourage you to do that maybe even later today if you're like, I still didn't understand what he said. Open up the message, read through Hebrews chapter 7, okay? Let me give you a background. So now, now this thing just launches right into this fellow named Melchizedek. So who in the world is this Melchizedek? We see him first show up in Genesis chapter 14. In Genesis chapter 14, we have the first record of war. We have no idea what they were fighting over. We don't know if somebody stole somebody's sheep, somebody called somebody a name, you know, somebody graffitied on the, the side of somebody's tent. We have no idea what created the, the conflict between these two factions, but, but you have a war. And, and you've got a war between five kings and four kings. And it comes to a head, and they, they begin this battle, and the unthinkable happens. The four kings pull off the upset. The four kings defeat the five kings, and now these four kings defeat the five kings, they take away the goods, they take away their food, uh, they, they, they carry away their people, they, 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 they carry away all of their possessions. So now the four kings took everything from the five kings, and, and one of the people that the four kings captured, his name was Lot. Now, that actually was their death knell, because they didn't know who Lot's uncle was. So, so Lot's uncle is this guy named Abraham. Now, Abraham, other than Jesus, is probably the most significant character to walk the face of the earth. Abraham is spoken of 311 times in the Old Testament. Now, you fast forward almost 2,000 years, you get to the New Testament. He is spoken of 74 times 
There's 27 books in the New Testament. He shows up in 11 of those 27 books. John chapter eight, Jesus actually does a, a teaching on who Abraham is. And in fact, if you, if you come right till 2024 and you do an evaluation of the world's population, almost 60% of the world's population today traces their religious roots back to Abraham. So he was one of the most significant people of the time. He is one of the most significant people in Scripture, and he actually still remains to this day one of the most important patriarchs in history. There's nobody more important than this guy named Abraham. Now, four kings defeat five kings. They take the plunder, they take the food, they, they snag up Abraham's nephew named Lot, and, and now Abraham finds out about it, and Abraham, it says, he, he took his 318 trained men that were in his household. Now, I just gotta ask you for a second. How many trained men do you have in your household? Okay, so, so we got, I'll, I'll say three, but I'm using the word trained very loosely, and secondly, trained in warfare, yeah, how about trained in sarcasm? We rock there. Um, so, so here comes Abraham with his 300 trained men ready for battle, and under the cover of darkness, they go and they attack the four kings, and they absolutely humiliate them. They chase them until there's nobody else to chase, and in so doing, they recover all of the goods, all of the people, all of the food, all of the family members, including Abraham's nephew, Lot. Now, the battle is done. It says that Abraham is rolling through a place called the Valley of Kings. Here's Abraham. He's got his 318 dudes with him. He's got all the recovered possessions. He is, he is a perfect 1 and 0 oh in battles. <laughs> and he's rolling through the Valley of Kings, uh, and out of nowhere, out of absolutely nowhere, this fellow Melchizedek shows up. Let me, let me read to you what it says in Genesis 14. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest to God most high. He blessed him. And he said, Abram is blessed by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has handed over your enemies to you. And Abram gave a tenth of everything to Melchizedek. So, out of nowhere, this guy Melchizedek shows up. Now, anybody who was somebody in the Old Testament gets a genealogy when they're first introduced in the Old Testament, but this guy gets none of that. Now, what we know about him is what we were told in Hebrews chapter 7. We know that his name, Melchizedek, it's a compound word. When you put it together, Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Ever, ever heard of somebody called that before? Hmm. He, he's the king of a place called Salem. That's a version of the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace. It would later become what we know as Jerusalem. So now we've got the king of righteousness, the king of peace, a priest of God most high. Now let me, let me explain to you why that's fascinating. A quick history for you. So, so, so Abraham, I mean it takes some time, but Abraham eventually has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons, which become the 12 tribes of Israel. Those 12 sons, or at least 11 of them, kind of shady fellows. Joseph ends up in Egypt. 
The rest of the family ends up in Egypt as they're trying to run away from a famine. Now, now, now this whole family stays in Egypt for, for 400 years, just doing what you do, having children, being married. Families are growing over 400 years. Over 400 years, this just continues and continues and continues. And then after 400 years, the Egyptians have oppressed the Israelites so mightily in Egypt that they begin crying out to God for deliverance. And God, in his mercy, hears them and sends Charlton Heston to deliver them. Right? Okay? Here comes Moses to lead them out of the land. And I'm skipping some parts, but as they're running through the wilderness, they, the people begin to rebel a lot. And God reveals to Moses a system, a system that we refer to as the law. And in that system, not only to describe what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do, and then what you're supposed to do when you've done what you're not supposed to do, it also reveals that there is going to be a line of people who will not only work in the temple, but then a specific line of those same bigger group of people who will become priests to the God Most High. See, because Levi had a son who had a son who had a son who had a son whose son was Aaron, and so if you're a Levite, if you're of the tribe of Levi, you're going to work in the temple, kind of like church staff, all right? And then if you're the son of Aaron, then, then you were eligible to be a priest in the temple. Now get this, all of that, I just went Abraham, some years later has a son named Isaac, Jacob, all the way to Egypt. All of that coming out of Egypt, all of that God revealing the law to Moses and unveiling the plan for, 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 for the temple and the priests and the Levites, and the son of, all of that happens about 800 years from when Melchizedek first shows up. But, but here's this priest of the Most High God from what would be the capital of Israel, but it wasn't the capital of Israel yet because Israel didn't even exist yet, standing before Abraham what is, who is this guy? So, so again, remind me, Abraham wins the battle. He's rolling through the Valley of Kings, probably riding on a, 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 a just a real geeked out camel or something. He's, I mean, he's just like, one and oh, baby, undisputed. And then here come the other kings to have a conversation with him, like, thank you for our things. And then all of a sudden, here comes through the night, this sound and, and fire tire tracks and this DeLorean pulls up. And, and the doors, because on the DeLorean, they pop up and open, right? And the doors open, and out step Doc and, and Marty McFly. And Marty McFly leans into the car and pulls back the seat back, and out steps this dude named Melchizedek. And that didn't happen, but that's kind of the idea. This, you're a little early. Um, did you come from the future? I mean, when you, when you hear the description, this is the king of righteousness, the king of peace, a priest the God most high man. He sure looks like somebody else, doesn't he? No, I don't, I don't, I don't know if this is a, a real historical king, or I don't know if this is God's son, Jesus Christ, appearing in a pre-incarnate form. I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I skipped over this. I can't skip this. This part blows your mind. Not only that, not only he's the king of righteousness, king of peace, and, and he's a priest of the most high God, but do you remember what he came with? Bread? and wine, come on, right? 
It's, 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 and, 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 and the Israelites, as they're reading this, they, they know because they understand their history way better than we do, right? And so they're anchored into the law. They're anchored into the lineage of the priesthood. And then they're also like, I don't understand this whole Melchizedekian thing. I don't, I don't understand how this actually happens. And, and so it actually becomes, and you're going to have to forgive me. I'm not, I don't suggest you watch this movie because I don't remember any of the details of it. I just remember seeing it years ago. And I don't apologize for, for ruining the plot because it's almost 30 years old. So if you haven't seen it yet, that's on you, not on me. It's like Sixth Sense. Okay, if you don't want to hear the, the plot giveaway, cover your ears real quick. He's dead. The whole time, dude's dead. And you walk through the entire movie, and you're like, I can't believe the way he's being treated. Some of these things just don't make sense. Then you get to the end, it's like, he's dead. Wait. And you go back and watch it a second time, and you're like, boom. Because there's a scene at the restaurant, it's him and his wife, and why won't you look him in the eye? I mean, they need counseling. And then you watch it the second time, like, because he wasn't even there, he's dead. It's mind-blowing when you first read the story of Melchizedek, you're like, who is that guy? And then you get to the rest of the New Testament, when Jesus Christ, the King of Righteousness, the Prince of Peace, the one who would be our one true priest, comes with, with bread and wine and says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Take, eat. It's often you do this in remembrance of me. This new cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you remember me. And then you, you finish that and you're like, wow, that's amazing. Wait a minute. And you read the story of Melchizedek, and here comes this one with, blood, uh, with bread and wine in his hands who looks an awful lot like Jesus Christ. So what's the point of that? The point is this, actually, and the author of Hebrews points it out. Melchizedek is so much more superior than even the patriarch Abraham. Verse 4, now consider how great Melchizedek was. He was so great that even Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the plunder to him. That doesn't happen. People gave the patriarch a tenth. But because he found himself to be so inferior and Melchizedek to be so much more superior to him, he was willing to give a tithe to, to, to the superior. Now, just, just for the record, I know some of you are like, okay, it's New Year's, I get it. He's going to talk about giving. That's, that's not the point. Now, you misunderstand what a tithe is. A tithe isn't some guilt thing that we try to throw on top of you so that you'll give. A, a tithe isn't, you know, I have to invest so that then God then will, will reward me and bless me. No, 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 no. A tithe is a symbolic gesture that says everything I have and everything I own is yours. That, that's, that's, that's how great Melchizedek was. That even the greatest man of the Old Testament would find the need to bring the tithe to him. But not only did he bring the tithe to him, but then Melchizedek in turn blesses Abram. Only if you're superior can you bless someone. Melchizedek demonstrated his superiority by blessing Abram. And then get this. Just as fast as that DeLorean came tearing in, it disappeared. He's gone. There is no mention of his death. There is no mention of another story with Melchizedek even in it. He's just gone. The next time we, we hear the name Melchizedek even mentioned is, is in this incredible psalm, Psalm 110, where David is actually painting a picture of our great 
kingly priest, the Messiah who was to come. And he says this in verse 4 of Psalm 110, the Lord has sworn an oath, and he will not take it back. Talking about the Messiah, you are a priest forever according to the pattern of Melchizedek. And that's all we have on the guy. Now, now that's significant. Because again, the Jewish people understood their scriptures and history unlike us. And so when they heard the name Melchizedek, not only would they think of what happened back in Genesis 14 after the, the great battle that Abraham won, but they would also think of this Davidic prophecy in Psalm 110 that said, listen, I know you have priests, but let me tell you of a better priestly line. It's coming through the line of Melchizedek. So they should have known what was coming. They should have known that this greater one was going to appear for them. But that creates a tension in them as people because, because the right response is, but we already have a law. We have priests already. I mean, this is the way it works, okay? I sin, I sin again, and I sin again. And then I go, go to the temple or the tabernacle, and I go see a priest, and I was like, hey, listen, I sinned. And he says, okay, listen, according to the law, this is how you have violated the law. And because you have violated the law in this way, then you owe a sacrificial offering. And so you must bring your offering. And so you bring your offering, and the priest takes it, and he, and he murders it, right? He, he, he sheds its blood, and then he gives it. And, and then he says, be on your way. And you're like, thank you very much. And then you go home. And guess what happens the next day? You sin. And you go back, and he's like, Hello, Frank. I'm like, hey, it's me again. Yep, okay. Uh, yep, you know how this works. I send you. Okay, bring the sacrifice. Cool, cool. And then on my way home, I send. I'm like, hey, it's me again. He's like, dude, that wasn't even an hour. I'm like, it's been a rough day. Okay, just leave me alone. And so here's a sacrifice. So why? Why do we need something different? Well, it's for that very reason. Look at verse 11 of chapter 7 in Hebrews. If perfection came through the Levitical priesthood from the basis of it, the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to appear, said to be according to the order of Melchizedek, not according to the order of Aaron? Skip down to verse 18. So the previous command, speaking of the law, is annulled because it was weak and unprofitable for the law perfected Nothing. But a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Why, why, do we need, why do we need a better priest? Because the law perfects nothing. Absolutely nothing. Here's a second reason we need a better priest. Because the old priests were 100% incapable of giving you access to God. I mean, you, you might come and confess your sin and bring your sacrifice, and they might slit the throat of your spotless, unblemished lamb and lay it upon the altar and send you on your way, but you were just going to come back the next time, and the only person you were going to talk to was the priest again. You never had access to God. In fact, the reason the priests can't give you access to God is because they didn't have access to God themselves. Only one day a year was a single priest, the high priest, was a single priest allowed to come into the very presence of God. No one else was. 
Why do we need a better priest? Because the law perfects nothing. The priests themselves couldn't bring us into the presence of God. And in order to gain access to God, we need perfection. Don't misunderstand me, okay? I'm not saying that the law and the priesthood were completely unimportant. They're very important, but it's just impossible to find perfection in them. But but if you understand the law and the priest, what you understand is this. The law continues to show us how broken we are. The law is a mirror that says, here, I want you to achieve this, and we just come up short every single time. And what it says is, you're a sinner, and you can't attain this on your own. So the law is very important in that. The law is very important in that it shows us the necessary payment for our sin. I I know, it's coming up. Many of you are like, New Year's resolution, I'm going to read Scripture. Okay, at this point, you're probably towards the end of Genesis. Okay, the next few weeks are going to get a little rugged, folks. You're about to get to Leviticus. It's usually where most people give up hope. That's usually where the book of John comes into play. Where you're like, Leviticus, Leviticus, let's try John. (laughs) But please don't. Because it's hard to understand Leviticus is. As bloody as it is, as unthinkable as it is, it paints a simple picture for us. Our sin costs so very much. It's not just a law that shows us how broken we are. It's not just a law that shows us the necessary payment for our sin, but it it also pushes us to God's answer for our greatest problem. And our greatest problem is that we've been cut off from God, separated because of our sin. The law isn't faulty. We are. And so we we need a a better priest than that can help us solve the problems that we have in ourselves. The, the, The noticeable weakness cannot be attributed to the law, but instead must be attributed to us, which is why this is quickly becoming one of my favorite verses. I'm just going to give you the first half of it. (laughs) Paul says in the book of Romans, for what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. So, So the law was totally incapable of giving us the perfection that we need in order to come into the presence of God. And the law couldn't give us that perfection because it was us. Our flesh is so incapable of being perfect. And so instead, what God does is he intervenes directly and he gives us a greater priest. Now, this is fascinating to me. And again, I can never find the verse and I should have marked it in Hebrews 7. Go! It's in here somewhere. Oh, I don't know. Let's go to verse 15. That looks right, but I'm not seeing it. So I'm just going to read verse 15. It's the scripture. It's okay for me to read. What could go wrong? Verse 15. This becomes clearer if another priest like Melchizedek appears who did not become priest, there it is, based on a legal regulation about physical descent. Okay, so so what was happening in the Old Testament priesthood is that they would become priests based on a legal, (laughs) that quick, regulation about physical descent. It meant if you were in the right family, you could be a priest. 
And so, so the, 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 the priesthood of Israel perpetuated naturally through childbirth. And so you could be a priest depending on who grandpa was. If grandpa was the right grandpa, you had a chance of being a priest. But the author of Hebrews says, well, but wait, this new order of Melchizedek, this priestly line of Melchizedek is not based on who grandpa is. Instead, verse 16, it is based on the power of an indestructible life. Oh. It's not that Jesus never died. It's that his life was never taken from him. His life was fully indestructible. Though he was laid in a tomb three days later, he stood, took a deep breath, walked out and said, that's done. The power of an indestructible life. You don't need religion to gain access to God because there is no access to God in keeping the law, even if it's modern law. We do have a modern law, you know that, right? It's not hard to see. Well, no, listen, Frank. You don't go there. You don't smoke that. You don't drink too much. You cuss only on Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> you read your Bible at least 30 minutes a day. You pray at least for 20 minutes a day. You memorize at least four verses a day. You make sure you're in church every other Sunday at least. You make sure that you are baptized, and if later on in your life you recognize the fact that you got baptized, you didn't even know what you were doing, you get baptized again. And you know what? For some of you, a third time wouldn't hurt. Right? We have this list of the law. I'm going to be good in community service. I'm going to be generous with the things that God has given me. I'm going to do all these things. And that's the measurement with which we look at it and say, that's, that's my law. And guess what? That is not going to gain you access to God in any way shape or form. Your access to God comes through the greater priest who lives forever. Look, 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 look at verse 22. Verse 22. Uh, because of this oath, which is, that's a quote from Psalm 110 where David said that God has sworn an oath and he's not going to change his mind. This, this priest that comes from the order of Melchizedek is going to be a priest forever. Because of that oath, Jesus has also become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now many... I love the way this is said. Many have become Levitical priests since they are prevented by death from remaining in office. <laughs> but because Jesus remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. So therefore, he is able to save completely. Maybe your version says this. Therefore, he's able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. See, this is the kind of high priest we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do first for their own sins, then for those of the people. He did this once for all time when he offered himself. Uh, verse 24, but because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. I've, I've told you this before. I had a friend 
uh, when I was uh, high school, college age, who, uh, <laughs> who worked at a movie theater. That job came with incredible benefits for me. <laughs> I, I'm not, I could get into any movie I wanted to for nothing. But that's peanuts compared to the amount of money I saved on concessions because of that guy. Popcorn, milk, duds, I mean, you, the 96-ounce Coca-Cola. I mean, I made out like a bandit. I would go there with friends. I would just walk. All I needed to do was walk in. He didn't even have to be taking tickets or working at the concessions counter. I just had to walk in and make eye contact with him, and then he would look at the person here and give a little... And I'd be like, thank you very much, and I'm away. And, and I, I must have saved, I, mean, I don't want to exaggerate, but I, I, I will. I probably saved thousands of dollars. I didn't pay them. I, I, I saved a lot of money. Until he stopped working there. Then my movie-going experience changed dramatically and immediately. The problem was, back in that day, here's the old-timer thing, because... Evidently, after Tyler last week said 50-year-olds can't even jump without hurting themselves. <laughs> um, back in my day, there were no such things as cell phones. We just had a house phone. And John, without telling me, quit his job. He's got every right to do that. <laughs> I showed up at the movie theater that evening, and I was like, where's he at? And I kind of poked around my normal places and see them. Finally, I mean, they, they, they know what I'm up to. So I'm like, hey, John working tonight? They're like, <laughs> and, and the, the young dude laughed. He said, no, he quit yesterday. Oh. Uh, it's particularly memorable because I was not alone. I had a date with me. And that was particularly memorable because I didn't pay for the movie, because I didn't have any money on me. That was about as memorable as it got, because we didn't date again after that. <laughs> See, the person you're depending on to get you in for, for nothing, and to supply you with all the junk food you could possibly want, suddenly isn't there. Well, you're kind of in trouble. What he says is if you're depending on a priest who can die at any minute to be your intercession, how secure are you in that intercession? But see, the message of Melchizedek is this. Jesus is greater. He, he lives forever with a priesthood that's been guaranteed by not just the oath of God, but by the singular qualification that no one else has. He has the power of an indestructible life. And, and you and I need perfection to gain access to God. And thank God that he provided for us, what does verse 26 say? This is the kind of high priest we need. No kidding. 
He provides us the high priest that we need, the one who is holy, the one who is innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, one who doesn't need to bring sacrifices every day, one for himself and one for you. No, no, no. He sacrificed himself for you one time and only one time and never had to do it again because his sacrifice is sufficient for us. He has taken our place on the cross. His resurrection is a picture of how is he, he is able to save us completely or to the uttermost. There's a story in Luke 13 where a woman comes to Jesus and she's in need of healing. And when she comes, it says she is so bent over and out of shape, she's unable to stand up straight. And, and, and just without going into all the details, but Jesus heals her, and he says, this is, this is it, here's the deal. Okay, so now you are healed, and you are healed so you can stand up completely. Same word. You can stand up to the uttermost. Jesus' work on your behalf has made it possible so that you can gain complete, full, 100% access to God. Because Jesus is alive, he is able to give us a salvation that is forever perfect. And in so doing, he guarantees us a better hope through which we can draw near to God. Doesn't matter what your religion says you need to do. That's not going to get you access to God. What Jesus did for you already, that tears the veil from top to bottom. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises we have in it, the reminders we have in it, the pictures we have in it, the constant reminders of how, how although we have been separated from you because of our sin, that we can come into your presence with boldness and courage and enthusiasm because we will be received. I thank you for the finished work of Jesus Christ. I thank you that when he took our place on that cross, that there wasn't a need for anything else because it was finished. And thank you that when he went into that tomb, he didn't stay there, but that he, he has that power of an indestructible life because he took his life right back up. And now he lives forever to make intercession for us. God, I pray that in this moment that the person who might be relying on things of their own personal religion, whatever that might be, that, Father, they would yield on that, they would relinquish that, and instead they would fall on their face before the only one who can give them access to God through the perfect Son of God who died in their place. God, thank you that in Christ we are going to come alive again because just as he lives, so will we. So may that encourage us today. May that push us further on in the race and in our journey to follow Christ. Thank you for dying for me. It's in the matchless name of Christ I pray. Amen. Would you stand? Would you sing with us as we close?